Welcome to the Nas Red Podcast, or Nas Red Talks About Movies, a place where movies are discussed. Friends, it is August 27th, and it is a beautiful Sunday. Actually, it's kind of gray. And I woke up this morning, and I was scrolling through my Facebook, and I saw on bloodydisgusting.com a great page, site, whatever, uh, for horror fans. And it said that Toby Hooper had passed away. And Toby Hooper, for those of you that don't know, I can't imagine it not knowing, but he directed a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's interesting because, you know, a couple months ago, George A. Romero died, and he's another titan of horror and stuff. And, you know, when he passed away, I reposted this episode of me going through his entire filmography and talking about each film. And unfortunately, I haven't seen all of Toby Hooper's movies. I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Poltergeist, uh, uh, you know, um, what else? Uh, uh, Funhouse I've seen. And those are all great. But, you know, I haven't seen all of his films, which I kind of regret. And, you know, I'm definitely going to go back and see Life Force and Invaders from Mar- Space Invaders or whatever. Is Invaders from Mars or something. I'm going to go back and watch all of his films. I really wish I had seen all of his films while he was still on this planet. I mean, technically he's on the planet, but like, you know, he's, he's, he's passed on, which is unfortunate. But, you know, he seemed like an older dude. And he seemed like, uh, you know, a guy that had lived a full uh, life, especially with a career like his and a filmography of, like his. And I thought, you know, the best thing to do is sort of just tell you how he sort of influenced me. Because, you know, it's a podcast. It's a personal thing. I'm, I'm giving you a piece of my soul, basically. But um, about eight years ago, I, uh, well, going back further, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a film that as a kid, I was completely terrified of watching. Like just the, the vibe of it, the, the, the attitude just seemed so gnarly. It seemed so scary and rough and this and that. And it is, it's one of the great horror films. Like you cannot, uh, you cannot look at the history of horror without looking at Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I really think that changed a lot of things for the landscape of horror and for cinema in general. You know what I mean? It, it's it's a whole genre unto itself, practically. And so basically, you know, I was scared of it as a kid. I eventually saw it and I got over my fear and I loved it. And I have a really nice tin case uh, DVD of it that I bought like almost 10 years ago. And it's a great film, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's just, again, it's like rough and gnarly and dirty. And it's like... You know, you can go into all these uh, sociopolitical things of like, that's like, you know, what, what was going on with Vietnam at the time and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But it really is one of the most, it, and this is for lack of a better term, it's one of the most moody films you can see. It just has this vibe, this sun-baked roadkill vibe. You know what I mean? And I even, I'm, I, I actually have a poster of it in my room. That's how much I love that movie. And so basically, this is how Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of influenced me. And uh, hopefully you think this is interesting. If it's not, just just turn it off. You don't, you don't have to listen, okay? You have to do a bunch of things to download this episode. So I, don't, I can't imagine why you would listen if you're not enjoying yourself. But okay, so sit back. Okay, so eight years ago... I went to San Francisco... Actually, I, I think maybe nine years ago. I went to San Francisco with my father. And every three months around this period i would get this mini freak out of fuck i haven't made my first film i have to think of the idea for my first film and 
you know, that, that cycle has gone on for, and then, you know, I would write a script and then I'd be like, okay. And then I'd be like, nah, this isn't the one. And then I would move on to the next idea and stuff like that. And this was a, a, a ever going cycle with me until I settled on Debbie and the devil. And so basically I went to San Francisco with my father because he had some customers there to, you know, my father is a tailor and stuff. And I had no weed, I remember. Like, I, I I, was trying to, you know, not smoke weed, much like I'm doing right now. I haven't smoked weed since the 1st of August, which I, you know, I feel really great. Uh, it's kind of boring. But hey, you know, what are you going to do? I got to make my movie. But anyway, I went to San Francisco. And I remember I had seen just randomly a picture of this Persian girl that looked, she was cute, but she had that, like, that hot Persian girl vibe. You know what I mean? And... At the time, there was this thing called the Pinky Violence Collection. It was like a DVD release um, of uh, Pinky Violence films. And for those of you that don't know, Pinky Violence films are these like Japanese sort of girl gang movies and stuff. And, you know, like, I don't know, like uh, off the top of my head, the one that pops out to me because I see, saw it and the title always uh, tickled me was terrifying girls high school lynch law classroom and you know that's one of them that i saw and these pinky violence films are very like um you know like these girls just kind of go do whatever they want and they're just kind of these wild girls and they're violent hence the name pinky violence and there's often a lot of nudity in fact like one of the more shocking uh uh incidents of violence in the film uh, terrifying girls high school lynch law classroom was these girls are like hazing this other girl and they put a light bulb in the girl's private area and that's the type of movie that you're dealing with when you're watching uh, pinky violence films lots of fun but anyway so that was on my mind those kind of movies and uh you know this this picture of this persian girl kind of stuck out in my mind just because she had this striking look and i realized okay i know what i'm gonna do I'm going to write a uh, my own version of a pinky violence film and it's going to be um, Persian girls instead of Japanese girls. It's going to be Persian girls and they just go around Irvine cutting and torturing and killing, but they look great and they have fun and the dialogue is snappy and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And so I wrote this script and it's funny because I, I recently looked at it again because a friend of mine a, a producer who optioned the script you know asked me if i could sort of cut it up into like a series and as i was cutting it up into a, like just chopping it up basically as i was i was like w w where what was i mentally eight years ago or nine years ago i i must have been in a really bad place because i mean the violence in this script is just so even by my standards, it's like, wow, that's that's a bit much. Like, there, for instance, there's a part, and forgive me if this just freaks you out, but, like, there's a part where her and her girls, they, rem they remove another girl's uterus. Like, it's that level of extreme violence. But the thing about it was, the dialogue was, and I, I'm not saying it from my opinion, because I wrote it. I have a totally biased opinion. But, you know, it was optioned by a producer. So, you know, I'm not totally like crazy, but like the dialogue was really funny. It was it was it was extremely violent, but the dialogue was super funny. Like, I mean, that sounds douchey me describing my own dialogue like that. But like it was funny, it was interesting and stuff. 
And so I wrote this script and then I showed it to a friend and my friend was like, wow, this is a bit much. And I was like, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. And then I sort of got over it and I uh, wrote some more and this and that. And then like maybe like three years later, I had, uh, I decided, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to make that my first film, Persian Pussycat. That's what it was called. And and uh, I'm that that's going to be my first film. And so I called up a friend of mine, a producer friend of mine, and I said, hey, uh, guy, I I want to make this film. It was Dave Zamet. He actually did the podcast before. Great guy. But I said, I want to do this. And, and, you know, maybe if you'd like to produce it and stuff like that, that would be cool. And he said, yeah, sure, I'll read it. And uh, hold on, let me sip some coffee. How are you? Good? That's awesome. Hold on. And... So I, uh, mm, good coffee. So I, I sent it to him. And again, this is like three years after I had written it. And I sent it to him and I didn't hear back for a little bit. Like it was like maybe like two, three weeks or something. And then in that time, I came up with another idea, which is like just typical me. And so I started writing this other idea, which was about like gangster rap or something like that. And I started writing that, and then I messaged my friend. I said, "Hey, Dave, uh, forget about Persian Pussycat. It's it's uh, you know I'm I'm writing something else that's much much better." And then so then he called me, and then he said, "Hey, Nas, we have a problem." And I said, "What's the problem?" And this is a genuine exchange. I'm not making this up. He said, "We have a problem." I said, "What's the problem?" He said, "Well, I'm reading the first." 10 pages of this script and I think it's brilliant and then I said okay uh, keep reading and then so so then an hour or an hour and a half later he calls me back and he's like dude I want to option this I I think I have some ideas of how to get this financed and stuff like he really liked it which is amazing to me because this script again is very rough it's very um you know raw there the, the violence is just incredibly it's just very very violent what can I say you know but again it was fun you know very offensive. It's it was it's one of the most offensive things I've ever come up with. And so he optioned the script and we met and he said, yeah, this is like he loved it. And so he had optioned the script. But then one thing that he said to a, to a mutual friend of ours and my mutual friend told me was he was like, you know, Dave says he loves this script, but he has no idea how to market it. Because, I mean, really think about it, a, a, a violent, you know, ultra violent script about Persian girls it's a hard sell, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of an uphill battle. I mean, maybe now with the way the culture is and with Instagram and stuff like that, maybe now it would be easier to make. But but back then it was like a very hard sell and stuff. In fact, my friend had this like friend, like a, an acquaintance, and I've never met this guy, but um, uh, he read the script and he told my friend Dave, he said... I read it, I hated it, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then, do you know what he did? He went and wrote like a nine-page essay, like for college, about it. And then I tell my friend Dave, I'm like, dude, get your hands on that essay. I have to read it. And he's like, no, my friend is hes scared of you in a way or something. I don't know what, you know. I mean, hey, dude, if you're listening, I'm a nice guy. You can, you can talk to me. But anyway, so... And, you know, Dave sent it around and stuff. And then the biggest complaint about the script 
Which, I mean, right now it's like, you know, the, the structurally it was very much like a day in the life of, of these of this girl. And it's like, you know, we follow her from the morning on to the eve tonight where she, you know, she goes to a party and she does all this stuff. And then as she goes through, you know, the, the day, she's just killing and maiming and just, just being a really naughty girl, basically. And so we sent it around and stuff and people responded to it but not in the sense of like oh i gotta make this you know what i mean they responded to it because it was an interesting piece of material there's no there was no doubt about that you know what i mean it was very and forgive me if i sound douchey talking about my own stuff and i know this is about toby hooper it's gonna go back to toby hooper but this is a podcast it's a personal thing i can only really you know talk about my experiences and stuff because trust me this is good this is gonna get good okay um so we send it around and stuff and, you know, people are like, it's interesting, but it's not, I don't know if we want to make it, you know. So then at some point I told Dave and then this was when I sort of became Nas Red. This is after I had come out of jail and my hair was red and I became this guy Nas Red and stuff. And I... So, but before that, I had made two other short films and there's my art pre-Nas Red and... After an A, Nas Red, B, C, and A, D, much like Jesus, you know. But anyway, if that stands for A, C, and B, C, stand for Jesus, I, I don't know. Uh, but um, so I told Dave, I said, listen, because f- we, we, we were talking about, okay, maybe we should do like a scene or something from the movie, or maybe we should do like a sizzle reel or something. And then I had become so uh, jonesing to 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 write and direct something again, that I told Dave, hey, Dave, fuck this scene bullshit. I want to make a, a short film with this character. And Dave said, you got it, man. Let's let's do it. And, uh, and Dave is a really great guy. But like, and so I came up with a short thing called The Fabulous Life of Niaz, which is, that's the main character's name. And the thing that I was kind of pulling directly from, because I knew, okay, you know, my friend Rick Darge, who also did the podcast, who's a brilliant cinematographer, filmmaker, writer, director, right now his movie Zendog is sort of touring the festival circuit and stuff. And I he, he was going to be the DP, and we were going to shoot it on the 5D just to save money. Because, I mean, at the time, he even had a red. Right now, he has an Alexa and stuff like that. But, like, we were like, okay, to save money, we're going to shoot it on the 5D. And this is when, you know, people were starting to make things with the 5D. And uh, so, anyway, hold on. I had to turn off something on my phone. But, like, so, anyway, we cast this film. We cast this girl, Nicole Marie White who's a really nice, fabulous girl. And we cast, you know, these girls. And basically the scene was um, her and her girls torturing this other girl. And the thing that I was pulling directly from was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just in terms of vibe. I don't know if that comes across with you know, what I have made. But yeah, that was sort of the thing. I wanted the attitude to be fucked up. And because we were shooting on the 5D and we had limited time and limited resources, as I always have when I'm making something, uh, 
I thought, okay, you cannot, I'm, and this is just like a filmmaking thing. Like, if you have a limited budget, you got to write your budget. You know what I mean? Like, you cannot be like, okay, I have, because I, I, I never have any money when I make these things, when I make short subjects and stuff like that. I cannot, I couldn't make it on the level of, say, like, I don't know, like the, the Scream or something. I couldn't get that technical polish. So because I couldn't get that, I was like, okay, well, then go for that Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing. Go for that sort of grungy thing. But instead of Leatherface, who's a hideous monster, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hot, a group of hot Persian girls and stuff like that. And... In fact, when we were making it, like, one of the parts, and it's, like, I think six minutes or something, but it's a rough six minutes. Like, she cuts a girl's tongue out, and it's one of the best parts of anything that I've done because the tongue just looks super realistic, and every time I show it to people, it always gets a reaction. It always gets a reaction. Nobody comes away from it thinking, oh, okay, that was... That was pretty clever, I guess, or that was interesting. It's always like, oh, wow, that was really intense. And I love that because as a filmmaker, I either want your hatred or your love. I don't want your indifference. You get what I'm saying? And so I made this and it was very, it, it, it is, I've said this since, it is my Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even though it's like a six minute short subject thing, because it's very effective and it has that, it's grungy, but at the same time, because it's a bunch of hot girls, it, it has that sort of, it's a weird juxtaposition, basically. And so that's my uh, thing of like my Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's how Toby Hooper has influenced me in my life. And this is just an interesting thing about this. Um, a couple years later, after I had made the short film, and then, you know, like, I put it on YouTube. One comment was, this is fucked up. Another comment was, is this real? Like, somebody actually thought it was real, and I just commented, yeah, of course it is. Out of all the things that I've done, it's it, it's very grungy, it's very, you know, rough, but it it has a, a quality that, that, that puts you on edge. It, it fucks you up, you know what I mean? And I love that. And so basically cut to a couple years later, a friend of mine calls me and he says, hey, you know, I'm Persian. I'm Persian-American. Uh, he calls me and he says, hey, um, there's this film festival called the Fadhang Film Festival. And it's like a Persian film festival, like celebrating Iran, like celebrating Iranian culture and stuff like that. And he said they're accepting submissions for their best for best short film. Would you, you know, maybe if you want to submit something of yours, uh, you know, maybe Fabulous Life of Neos. And I immediately thought, oh, my God, that would be the funniest thing. It would fuck them up so badly. And that's fun. I And again, dude, listen, I have nothing against the Fat Ang Film Festival. But listen to what happened, my experience, my festival experience. So I submit, so I submit Fabulous Life of Neos. And like, let me just sort of bean count the violence. Okay, first... She cuts the girl's tongue out while her other friends are holding down the girl. Then her friends tie her to a tie the victim to a table and they start talking about removing her eyes. And then and then the Niaz like says, like, oh, I want to put her eyes on a keychain because that's cool. And then she takes needles and stabs the girl in the ears with the needles to deafen her so she doesn't hear anything, which I, I, it's a weird logic thing that she does because she says, I don't want to be inhumane. 
And then another girl comes and they're like in the story, like they're in that girl's tailoring, parents tailoring shop. And then the the uh, Niaz shoots the victim in the head and there's like a blood splatter and stuff like that. And then, and that's the violence. And in fact, somebody told a friend of mine that, and he, this person was a friend that I knew through this friend of mine, and they were talking about me, and they were talking about how I'm a nice guy or something, or a cool guy or whatever. I don't know. Maybe they could have been talking shit. I don't know. But, and then they said, uh, yeah, somebody told me that he made the most violent short film that they had ever seen, which I think is an awesome compliment i really do i think that's cool you know but anyway so i submit my baby to the fat hang film festival and the fat hang film festival is supposed to be a, a thing where persian culture is celebrated and i'm all for that that's cool you know that's great you know so i submit this thing and the the submissions were either really dumb and pretentious or they were good. Like, there was one called... I think the one that should have won first prize was this really amazing, sweet cartoon called The Lady with Flower Hair. And it was it was animated by a Persian woman. And it was just really beautiful. It was, it was very... Uh, it was very moving. The second place... And note that I didn't say Fabulous Life of Nia should have won first place. There was a cash prize. I was so irritated I didn't win the cash prize. But... The second place should have been Fabulous Life of Neos, it, it, hands down. It was out of like a hundred something submissions, or I think even more, it was the sixth most popular short film because it was just so, so awesome. You know what I mean? It was just so great. It, you could not ignore my baby. And the third place, I don't, I don't know. I don't care who, what, what should have won, any of them. Like, well, who cares? The, the lady with flower hair was the best, mine was the second best, and everything else was just pretentious and dumb or stupid. And so some lady commented, because it wasn't like a film festival where you would send a physical DVD or a VHS. I mean, this is in the 90s, but like it wasn't that like you would you would put it on like your video like Vimeo or YouTube or whatever and then you would just submit the link and then they would put it on their list of you know Persian films and stuff like that and so some woman uh commented this exact comment okay and mind you Fabulous Life of Niaz was made for like no money again like when I make these short films I, 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 I'm, I'm very aware of the budget because I have no budget. I'm, and the thing is, like, I always measured... It was always important to me as a filmmaker to be able to make something that's watchable out of nothing. Like, just make... Basically, make a dollar out of 15 cents, basically. Rub two pennies together and write your budget and make something that's effective with what you have. Because if you can't do that, then I don't... I question how good of a filmmaker you are. And I'm not saying I'm like this super amazing Orson Welles filmmaker. I'm coming from, like when I was growing up, El Mariachi was a thing. And I read that Robert Rodriguez Rebel Without a Crew. And that's the place that I, I was coming from, you know. And so this woman commented, terrible. This film made me sick and it was poorly made on top of that. 
And I love this comment. It was so great. I made it honestly made me warm and fuzzy inside that someone would say that. But I did kind of take issue that it was poorly made because it's like, hey, lady, I have no money, you know. Uh, so I commented back. I'm I'm not paraphrasing. I think this was exactly what I said. I said, uh, in terms of the genre of horror, of which this film most definitely is. Getting sick is a standing ovation. So merci. Merci means thank you in Farsi. It was made for no money, but I appreciate that it was made well enough for you to take time out of your busy schedule to comment. And that was my answer back. And and then, uh, you know, I that was my experience with the Fat Hang Film Festival. I thought it was funny. I really did. I thought that was genuinely funny. I got a kick out of it. I'm a I'm a little artistic psycho. You know what I mean? These things uh, excite me. And so, cut to, uh, cut to like a couple years later. One of the the judges on the film was on 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 the film festival was an actor named Navid Negabom. I'm not pronouncing that right. Hold on, let me... No, I mean, Negabon or Negabom or something like that. He's a... He was in... He's a Persian actor. He was in The Stoning of Soraya M. He had, like, a big recurring role on Homeland, which I've never seen and stuff. He's a guy that just... He's, he's one of these Iranian actors that just, you know, he's in Hollywood and he gets work and he works and he works, you know, the type of roles that he gets and stuff like that. And so one day I'm at the shop, you know, the tailoring shop where I, I help my family. And I'm in the back, I'm sewing and stuff. And my brother comes out and he's like, hey, I think this guy that's that just came in is a, is a, like an actor or something. Look at, look him up. And, and he went out to get something while we were preparing an order for him. Like we were doing something that he needed right away or something. And and so, you know, we were doing that and he went to get, I don't know, like a coffee or something. He was doing something. And he, and then I look him up and I realize, oh my God, that's one of the guys that, uh, that was the, one of the judges on, at the Fat Hang Film Festival when I submitted Fabulous Life of Niaz. And so when he came back, I just went up to him point blank with a huge smile because this was, this was tickling me. I thought this was all very funny. And I said, hey, were you a judge on the Fat Hang Film Festival? And he said, yeah. And then I said, I did this one. And I sort of made a motion of scissors to my tongue. And he right away knew which film it was. Like, he was like, oh, you did that? Like, and he was kind of amazed. Because I'm a really nice guy when you meet me. If you experience my art before you meet me, you might be afraid to meet me. Because my art can be pretty vicious and violent and stuff. But I'm actually a really, really nice guy. Dare I say humble. But anyway, so then he was like, oh, you did that? And I was like, yeah, I did. And I was just smiling the whole time. And then he was like, uh, you know, like he sort of left his info. And he's like, hey, if you want to do anything, you know, hit me up and stuff. And uh, but he said like, yeah, he basically I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, your vibe was very fuck you. And I was like, yeah, that's 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 kind of me. That's <laughs> that that's how I am, you know. And uh. And so that was my festival experience. If I hadn't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I wouldn't have made that film the way I made it. I wouldn't have known the uh, aesthetic of what I was going for with that film. Um, I owe a lot to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I will say this. I owe a lot 
to older generations of filmmakers. I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to think it would be cool to come onto the scene and be really arrogant and, you know, be pompous and, you know, in a joking way and stuff like that with in regards to cinema. But I realize as I get older and I do this more and more and I meet more people and stuff like that, I realize you cannot with seriousness be totally arrogant about the art of film unless you're a total old timer because of the fact that cinema is so much bigger than me and I am always going to be indebted to the past generation of filmmakers for what they've done you know what I mean and so it's like you I cannot imagine the fabulous life of Niaz say existing in its current form or existing at all had it not been for the fact that when I was younger I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre you know what I mean it's it's we are all as filmmakers the, those that are in the game those that are appreciators of the game or whatever we are all indebted to these old ma older masters and so somebody like say George A. Romero or in this case Toby Hooper I just wish, and this is what I always say when directors die, you know, they're in that cinema in the sky, eating lots of popcorn and soda pop, and they're chilling with Buddha, Jesus, and Muhammad, and Zeus, and all the gods and stuff, and they're just hanging, and uh, it was it was a pleasure to have you, sir, in this in this thing, in this in this game of life. It was a pleasure to know you. It was a pleasure to watch your films, and uh, and I love you, man. I'm sorry you had to die, but it seemed like you you sort of lived your life, and that's cool, you know? And I am looking forward to seeing more of his films and stuff, and I will leave it at this. I, you know, I often paraphrase a, a poem uh, written by either Rumi or Hafez, one of those guys, that uh, equates life to being a bird in a beautiful glass cage, and when the bird... When the, when the cage eventually falls and breaks and people cry over the cage, but nobody thinks about the bird, which is free. Somebody told me about this poem. I don't even know if this poem exists. And so before I sat down to record today, I, um, oh, I got a message on my phone. Hmm. Uh, before I sat down to record today, I looked for this poem sort of using keywords, but I couldn't find it, but I stumbled upon this. And I, I will leave you with this. Hold on. God damn my phone. I will leave you with this little uh, poem by Rumi. And hopefully, maybe even if you knew him personally, hopefully maybe this will make you feel good or something. You know, I don't know. Beating your wings and feathers, you broke free from this cage. Rising up to the sky, you attained the world of the soul. That's Rumi. We're going to miss you, Toby Hooper. But, uh, you know, now you can make the ultimate film in heaven with God and Jesus and Buddha and all the people, all the, all the, all the greats. You can meet Beethoven. You could chill with John Lennon. You can talk to Kurt Cobain. You can jam out with Jimi Hendrix. You can sing with Janis Joplin. I don't know why I'm thinking of just singers, but so many people die. And uh, if I can just say, hey man, if you're listening to this, have a great day. Have a great day. That's all you can do, really. You know, tr try to have a great day. Because you're alive, man. You're, you're part of this life, and it's a true blessing. And without getting spiritually spooky or anything like that, every breath 
is a blessing and and uh, or, or is a great luck of the universe or wh- whatever your point of view is so enjoy the day man woman whoever you are enjoy your time here because life is fucking short it could end in a second your next heartbeat is not promised nor is tomorrow so follow me on twitter at mr nasred follow me on instagram at mr.nasred email me at nasredpodcast at gmail.com and visit me at nasred.com for all of your nasred needs and please do like share and subscribe on itunes and leave me a beautiful review and buy a wild seven productions t-shirt 10 percent of the proceeds go to children incorporated goodbye you texas chainsaw massacre friends